Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Breaking news: Hong Kong's Hang Seng has jumped two percent because Evergrande shares have surged more than twenty-five percent after days of losses. What's going on? Evergrande in focus—they're a Chinese real estate developer, and you know we've been talking about their struggle to avoid defaulting on billions of dollars of debt and how that's rattled global markets. Well, it says it'll pay interest to bondholders in China, uh, presumably preferencing um, paying off its uh, bond holders in Renminbi, but really no signs yet on whether it will pay its bondholders abroad. So, uh, seems to be some optimism in the market, given the signals, right? Evergrande shares up more than 25%. What's going on? Let's turn to our resident expert, Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow. He was there um, at the at a pivotal point of economic history, he'll tell you about his. You know, be, were you at Lehman Brothers itself, Arun? Indeed, I was. Oh that my, the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Living history. All right, Arun, we're going to ask you about the possible parallels in just a while. But I wonder if you could take a step back for us uh, and the listener and help us understand the heart of this crisis in the Chinese property space that the world seems so panicked about. Sure thing. So, I mean, overall, 20,000 feet in the air view, Evergrande is quite a scary situation. That is changing day by day, but overall, it's definitely a scary situation. The total debts are lining up at close to 300 billion US dollars, billion, right? And that comes up to roughly about 2% of China GDP. So this is not a small issue by any stretch of the means. Now, you know, the Chinese government has been trying to ensure that the larger businesses in China, the HNAs of the world, the Evergrande's of the world, are not as leveraged, or they're trying to reduce the amount of leverage. This thing takes time, right? But the problem that Evergrande is facing right now is a massive liquidity crunch. Mm. BBOC has come in, uh, in the money market. They have pumped in close to $14 uh, billion uh, of short-term cash to mm. try and lower the front-end interest rates to ensure that the money markets can be smooth functioning. That's not going to be enough. At the end of the day, a core solution is required wherein they can bring down this debt. And as you were mentioning, right, like all sorts of these uh, strategies are being employed by the company of trying to convince wealth management product holders, people who have unfinished apartments, slashing prices, just trying to get more cash in the system so that they can roll over the upcoming uh, bond interest payment. Another interesting thing that you mentioned, rightfully so, is the local bonds, there's a lot more clarity on the bond interest payment being taking place for the local bond. Mm. The foreign bonds is still a bit of a question mark. All this being said, though, in terms of foreign investment, you know, shying away from China, the percentage of foreign investment into Evergrande bonds specifically is still like around less than 10%, I believe. So the total impact from the foreign investment side of the community side of things doesn't seem to be as bad as the local side. Okay, so the Hong Kong market's just open and it looks like, you know, they've returned to trade after a holiday Wednesday. 
and and we're seeing shares of China Evergrande soaring more than 25%. What do you think is powering the optimism? I mean, let's, let's keep things in context. Year to date, Evergrande's plunge is still more than 80%. But why this sudden uh, uptick in optimism? Well, you know, rumors are floating around. Uh, yesterday, but there was a little bit of good news about at least the local bonds. Uh, the one that was the interest payment that was due yet today mm. is going to get paid out. So there was a little bit of optimism about that. There are some rumors about how they're going to try and slice and dice this company up. Nothing firm has come out. But it's interesting you mentioned my whole Lehman experience. Before Lehman went bankrupt, and I'm not saying that Evergrande is going to go bankrupt, just to be clear. But mm-hmm. before Lehman went bankrupt, mm-hmm. the share price went up and down like 30, 40 percent n- numerous numbers of times. Interesting. So, you know, short term, very, very volatile market moves is to be expected in a situation like this. On the basis of, you know, what people are trying to gather could happen. I mean, this morning I was reading a report, Asian markets, saying sources close to the Chinese government uh, told Asian markets that a deal could see China Evergrande restructured into three different entities, separate entities. Uh, that could be finalized by the CCP and announced within days. But coming back to your experience with Lehman, people have been making comparisons uh, with Evergrande and Lehman's collapse in terms of the spread of the contagion effect. Now, do you think there are clear parallels? <laughs> I mean, just the sheer fact that it's mentioned so much in the media <laughs> that this could be a Lehman moment, I doubt it's going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, j- jokes apart, Evergrande is not a bank. It's not an investment bank. It does not have millions of cross-derivative transactions that other financial institution players and all of that stuff, right? Which makes uh, the financial markets a huge mess. This is the case, obviously, of a company that is over-leveraged itself, mm-hmm. taken massive amounts of loans, bond issuances, wealth management products, on-sheet, off-sheet, balance sheet issues that this company is dealing with. So in terms of, uh, you know, like this whole contagion effect, mm-hmm. SMEs, they have a number of suppliers and distributors, right? So obviously, they're going to get very badly affected, and they already are. I think in a weird turn of events, because of the sheer amount of capital that they have raised to retail wealth management products, I think is one of the reasons why the government is so closely looking at this, right? Like we've seen some headlines coming out of China where thousands of people have shown up at the doorsteps of the company uh, complaining that their money is now lost. Uh, My personal opinion about this is, you know, playing a bit of a devil's advocate, Mm. When the high headline interest rate of like 8, 10, 12% was being showcased to retail investors a couple of years back, uh-huh. they were lapping this up, right? Like it, it's this whole element of greed that's in the market where investors saw this headline interest and they were like, oh, this is Evergrande. Obviously, the government's going to support it. Yes. And it's a bit of a sad fact that, uh, you know, should these investors pay for the fact that they did not require do their required due, due diligence, or uh, should they be made to suffer? I mean, just given the size of the problem, the government is getting involved, and I'm sure they will continue to get involved. These retail wealth management products, I hope there is some amount of haircut, only to ensure that this does not become, you know, the poster child of investors can just take upon any risk that they want in China, mm. and the government will bail them out, mm. right? Like, we do not want to get into that situation either. It seems, given where the bonds are trading, 
given, you know, regardless of this 25% pop in its shares, it's still down 80%, as you were mentioning, right? So yeah. I do believe that there's going to be a huge haircut. Equity, bonds, and I hope even wealth management products to ensure that let the financial markets do what they're supposed to do. Figure out what is the optimum price of a certain underlying asset and trade around it accordingly. So I'm hoping that that's what's going to happen. I hope that it's not going to be a bankruptcy because that just leads to a lot bigger mess. But even if bankruptcy does happen, which I don't believe it will, mm. I still don't believe it's going to be a Lehman Brothers kind of moment. So if this offshore default does happen, I mean, because there seems to be a very strong priority on domestic investors, right? And if, it, it all makes sense if you think about China uh, prioritizing social stability, um, you know, minimizing social inequality at home as well. But abroad, if a default is triggered, you know, what, what are the odds that it's going to spread to other obligations, a broader contagion? It, it's really not as large from a foreign investor perspective. So uh, answering that question into two parts, right? Firstly, uh, I do believe that there's going to be a haircut involved in terms of rolling over of the debt, equity definitely, but fixed income side also. I don't think China is going to let domestic lenders get away from this scot-free. We've already seen them, uh, you know, knocking on the wrist of uh, Pingan Insurance that potentially took a slightly larger exposure to Evergrande than what they were supposed to. The entire executive management team was hauled into the government offices and reprimanded quite sternly. So I, I don't think this is going to be a case of China saying, okay, you know, all the domestic investors, you're going to be getting away scot-free. Retail wealth management products, I think the haircut involved over there is mm. going to be substantially less. I think they will basically force uh, senior management in Evergrande to, you know, give up. I think there's like a 50% discount if you want to convert your wealth management product into car park slots, 35% for commercial property, 25% for residential property, right? Like discounts in terms of uh, a barter exchange. So you don't take the cash back, you just take an unfinished apartment that we promise to finish in like three or six months or something. So haircut less for retail. Domestic investors, I think, will be favored, but again, it will be severely reprimanded. Now coming to the international part. Mm. In terms of the size of investment into Evergrande from foreign investors is not that large. So I really do not think, and there's no interlinkages between uh, the financial ecosystem, like a Lehman Brothers. So if a bank in China was to go bankrupt, I think that would be a lot bigger a contagion risk than a bunch of pension funds, uh, the Black Rocks, the vanguards of the world, having invested 5 or $10 billion. I mean, 5 or $10 billion is a lot of money, but in terms of percentages of their overall balance sheet and stuff, I do not think it's that big a risk. So those exposed to Evergrande's US dollar bonds and Evergrande shareholders likely to be the hardest hit? Equity investors, you know, regardless of this 25% pop-up, just looking through the balance sheet of even of the publicly available information, even excluding what's off balance sheet, and that's very difficult to put a specific number on, even the current what's on the balance sheet, the mm. liabilities are just ginormous. I, I find it very difficult uh, to believe that mm. equity investors can come out of this uh, relatively unscathed. I think the amount of dilution, even if you slice and dice it up, right, the amount of dilution that will be required by through various capital raises 
is going to be very, very, it's going to provide diminishing returns to an equity investor for the long run. Can you get in and get out, you know, today, tomorrow, make 10, 15%? Potentially, yes. But from a more longer term perspective, and that takes me back to the Lehman days, right? There mm-hmm. were at least, I think, six or eight times where Lehman Brothers shares popped up by over 50% over the course of like three days to a week. Uh, so I think from that aspect, from a very short-term trading perspective, if you have that skill set, potentially you could monetize this. But from the longer-term perspective, when your bondholders are going to have, I think they're trading at like 30 to 40 cents on the dollar. When your fixed-income uh, investors are taking a haircut of 60 cent, 60%, I think equity investors, you know, there isn't really much left. There isn't much meat left than this uh, uh, carcass to be able to uh, give enough returns to equity investors. All right. So we talked a little bit about, you know, uh, what's out there in terms of uh, possible CCP control over China Evergrande splitting into three separate entities in a deal that could be announced in days. Uh, and you started by saying, listen, this is not a bank. You know, we've got to keep that in mind. So, you know, how likely are we to see a bailout compared to what we saw with Huarong Asset Management? I think the odds of, uh, it depends what you classify as a bailout. Right. Mm. Uh, You know, uh, back again, going back to the 08 financial crisis, there were all these mentions about, oh, the Fed basically uh, bailed out Bear Stearns. Important to note, equity investors of Bear Stearns basically got nothing, right? Because the company was sold and at the equity price of $2, which increased to $10, but the share was trading at like $170 just a year before. So I think from a bailout perspective, if that, if your, if the definition of that word implies whether they will try and slice and dice up the company and sell off its parts to potentially like, like smaller real estate players, I think that is very highly possible. Will equity investors bear the maximum brunt of that uh, of any kind of uh, restructuring or bailout? Absolutely, because as an equity investor, you come at the absolute bottom of the cap table. Will bond investors have to take a haircut, uh, roll over this debt to a much longer uh, tenor, uh, and and at the same time take a haircut also? Absolutely. I I think there's no other way out uh, for the company given the situation it's in right now. So in that definition, yes, there will be a bailout for sure. I was looking at a Morningstar piece of research yesterday, uh, which showed the top funds with high exposure to Evergrande bonds and some which have been accumulating Evergrande bonds over the past couple of months, like UBS, HSBC, BlackRock. Uh, do you think there's any big opportunity amid all this fear and confusion? With Evergrande names specifically, uh, personally, I'm staying a little bit away from there. But from the perspective of the real, like Hong Kong real estate as a sector, I think there definitely are gems within that space. So we see, we we know that Hong Kong real estate companies have been sold off recently. Um, I, I believe six Hong Kong developers lost about eleven billion US dollars in market value on Monday. Investors selling off on concerns about increased regulatory scrutiny. China, you know, coming down quite hard on the real estate moguls as they have for quite some time um, to ensure that there is more access for the middle class to affordable property in Hong Kong. So um, very interesting. Can you share a little bit more about your take on the Hong Kong real estate sector? I think, uh, you know, when an entire sector gets brought down because of a certain amount of over leverage in one or maybe two names, 
I think that provides a lot of opportunity to investors who are a willing to play, you know, the long-term game. So not being too concerned about a 20, 30% mark to market moves uh, based on daily market moves, Mm -hmm. but at the same time need to be extremely careful in analyzing the balance sheet of these businesses. So the way I'm looking at it is I'm taking, you know, pulling up a screener, going through all the various stocks that are listed in this specific sector, going through the balance sheet with a magnifying glass, trying to see uh, which ones have a relatively cushy cash or cash equivalent position vis-a-vis their immediate debt, which ones have good relationships with banks, which ones have insiders buying shares in their own business. And by insiders, I mean not just the CEO, because there are numerous cases, you know, in Hong Kong where the CEO just, you know, makes a big headline news of buying some shares of their underlying stock, while through, you know, back doors, they're getting rid of their investments, uh, their underlying holdings and all of that stuff. I'm looking more for a broader base of senior management, board of directors, uh, senior management of the real estate company to be buying their underlying shares. And I think that will give me a lot more confidence that the insiders know what they're doing. They're taking advantage, like investors should be, of this sector uh, downgrade because of one or two rotten apples. Because at the end of the day, I mean, sure, the Chinese, the CCP, very rightfully, you know, clamping down a little bit. Leverage, not good. Overpriced apartments that are 300 square feet, like shoebox apartments, all of that stuff, not ideal. But... At the end of the day, the macro tailwinds in terms of population and a growing middle class, people expanding into, forget tier one, but even tier two, tier three cities from the rural side, that that overall growth story of China, I think, is extremely strong. And given the passion for Asian investors to still believe that property should be their number one asset, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. That was, In that regard, I think there are very strong macro tailwinds uh, for investors to try and take advantage of this uh, recent price correction in the sector. That was absolutely gold, Arun. Thank you. This is the reason why I put together a show like this, uh, so we can understand how, what it is investors actually do to get beyond the headlines, you know, how you actually use your magnifying glass. So thank you very much for sharing that. Absolute gold. All right. So one high-profile influencer who is not so concerned about Evergrande is U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell. So Powell is playing down the risk of market contagion from an Evergrande default. And he notes that corporate defaults in the U.S. also quite low at the moment, which brings us to the next topic this morning. So the Fed signaling a shift away from pandemic era support um, was the news you know expected since you know we've been talking about tapering for some time Arun absolutely I think I mean just looking at the not to say that short-term market reactions are right or not but just on the back of the Fed news we could see markets appreciate a little bit last yesterday and the day before that because this is exactly what the market knew was coming and the Fed pretty much hit the nail on the target, right? Like they clearly said, tapering's going to start soon. They did, men- they did not mention a deadline, but they did give an indication that by the middle to end of next year, they're looking to end the tapering aspect of expansion of their balance sheet. And in addition, they also obviously talked about inflation, right? That they mentioned that it's currently running as expected, maybe a little bit potentially higher than what they were looking at. They do believe it's still transitory in nature, but 
uh, you know, they are on top of this completely. And considering that rates are basically at an all-time record low going back the last 50, 80, 100 years, there is ample room for them to be able to tame inflation to some extent, start increasing interest rates after being done with tapering. So I think the market was expecting this, for sure. The expectation that interest rates were going to start rising in 2023 had already been priced into the market that probably 2022 is when they're going to start seeing this. So the Fed just stuck to the story. They said they're going to continue to see these data points coming out. From their aspect, you know, unemployment is continuing to reduce. Very good signs. Uh, you know, defaults in corporates, they're not seeing any of that. Yes, COVID is a little bit of a headwind, especially on the back of this Delta variant, but they're not seeing that dramatic a slowdown. It's a, just a little bit more of a temporary slowdown. So all of that painted a very stable picture. Maybe not, may not be the rosiest picture that any market participant could have hoped for, but they were definitely, this was as is. It was par for the course. What was interesting, though, I think last night, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. Jamie Dimon came out with his views about the Fed also. Mm. And he, was, he brought up this point of inflation right now is probably running a little bit higher than expected, and the Fed claims it's transitory. Uh, he does not think it to be as transitory in nature as the Fed does. And he was saying that if we fast forward to December, so just a couple of months from now, and we are still seeing these kinds of inflation numbers, the Fed might have to do something a little bit more drastic. And by drastic, you know, it's not just going to be a steady state increase of 25 basis points or 50 basis points. They might have to start ratcheting up that interest rate a little bit quicker. Something to be seen, I kind of am falling more in Jamie Dimon's camp rather than the Fed camp. Uh, just given how inflation numbers are running, given how publicly informa available information of CEOs coming out with their quarterly earnings are continuously saying they're seeing this inflation to be not transitory. They're seeing this to be a lot more permanent. Hence, they have to pass down these cost increases to the consumer. So from that regard, as an investor, something that I'm looking out for, but it seems like the Fed has a good grasp of the situation currently. All right. As an investor, we have to ask you as well how you are viewing this, you know, buy on the dip theme. So on Monday, we looked at uh, where stocks, the selling could be overdone for, for some stocks for bargains. On Tuesday, we look at construction sector costs. On Wednesday, we looked at biotech companies at ARK Innovations, Kathy Wood has been buying. And today, we looked at U.S. retail investors and what they've been buying. So what is your take? Is this a buying opportunity? At all? I think the sectors that at least I am looking at a lot more closely is uh, U.S. financials. I think they will benefit a lot from, uh, you know, this inflation picking up to some extent, a more normal yield curve, where the front end, I think the Fed is going to start increasing interest rates. I don't think it's going to spike up that much. The front end of the curve is lower. The back end, I think, given inflation expectations, is going to continue to widen. So, Banks can take advantage of that net interest margin by lending in the back end and having deposits on which they pay interest in the front end with rock-solid balance sheets as compared to Europe. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big opportunity for uh, U.S.-led banks to take uh, you know, an advantage of. I think Hong Kong real estate sector is something that I'm looking at a lot more closely. And uh, in terms of like consumer goods segment, I'm looking at really good brand names which have the possibility 
of increasing their underlying good without uh, lower demand for their product, right? So the ability for companies to pass on inflation to their buyers of their goods, I think is going to be the big differentiating factor over the next two or three years. So purely commoditized good companies, unless you're in, you know, actual manufacturing of the raw material and selling it, like trading companies, I think they can be quite lucrative. And we saw Buffett put in like five or $8 billion buying Japanese trading houses. Mm. So I think that could be something interesting. I think uh, consumer goods that have a rock solid name in the minds of uh, society, I think that could be some uh, a good place to park some money into. Bonds, I'm staying quite a bit away from. Even the singer bonds? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just too low an interest rate, to be honest. Mm. I just don't see how 30 years at 1.5% just makes any sense, to be honest. Arun, this is a masterclass. Thank you, as always, for being here. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, wrapping up Money and Me. This is a show you want to re- listen to over and over again. So many gems there, and you can do so on audio or on Spotify. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.